things new, and uh, some of you have probably used this phrase before, uh, but if not, you'll learn it today, out with the old and in with the new. Have y'all, have y'all used that phrase before? Is, is that usually the motivation, uh, the rallying cry of your spring cleaning or your closet cleaning or your winter clothes cleaning or whatever the case may be, out with the old and in with the new? Uh, maybe that's how some of you feel about your spouse today, is if I could just get rid of this old person and get a new, no, hopefully that's not the case at all. Um, I hope that's not, because none of you are old. Is that, is, that the, is that the right hole to dig this morning? Perhaps so. But you, you know that phrase, and, and it's, it's this rallying cry of, of starting something new. How do we start something new? And if you, if you realize sometimes in order to start something new, you have to stop something old, or you have to discontinue whatever that practice was, or you have to take whatever was old and replace it with something that is new. But, but because the space that is required for whatever that thing may be, you've got to get something out of the way to get something new in there as well. Uh, and so this morning, as we continue our sermon series uh, of, of all things new, I, I just want you to consider for a moment uh, what our memory verse is, and I hope that you'll memorize this with me uh, throughout the next couple of weeks, and just meditate on this passage of Scripture and pray on this passage of Scripture uh, of what Psalm 5110 says to us. And we actually have it on, on the screen for us this morning. And so if you would, would you read that out loud with me this morning and do so in such a way that you're just talking to God. I just want you to pray out loud as a as a church this morning, uh, Psalm 5110. So let's read that together. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's do that again. That sounded so awesome. Create in me. simple sentence, a couple of commas in there, but it's just a great prayer for us. And I pray that that is something that you'll meditate on because it's something that I meditate on because to be honest with you, I have some old bad habits. I have some old ways of my life. I had some old things in my life. And the only way I'm going to get rid of it, the only way I'm going to get something better is that if I ask God to create in me a, a, a new heart and put in me a and so this verse means so much to us uh, today and for the next couple of weeks especially, and I pray that it does for you as well. Because the question I want to ask you this morning is, is what is one thing new in your life that you want, but you can't have it until you get rid of the old one? So, so for just a moment where you are, and if, if those of you who are at home are watching this, or if you want to get online and just you know see what other people say about that, what, think for just a moment or maybe talk with somebody beside you if you want to. Um, I'm giving you full permission to talk in church. Isn't that great? You can even get the, the cellophane candy wrappers out right now. It's a good time to do that. But what is one thing new that you want, but you can't have it until you get rid of the old one? So think about that for just a second. Talk amongst yourselves. If you're thinking you put me on the spot this morning, I just don't know what that one thing is. That's okay. I'm really hoping this actually dwells with you and lingers about in your mind for some time that, it, that you're trying to figure out what's that one thing. For, for me, I will tell you uh, just the one thing, and, and you, can, you can judge me any way that you'd like to, but the one thing that I would like is a 2020 four-wheel drive Tundra. But I have to get rid of uh, uh, two kids in college, a couple of car notes, and a couple of other things, and a Ford F-150 that I have to, I've got to get rid of that first. Uh, uh, so in, in case you're wondering if I have a plan for that, no, I've given it very little thought. But there are some things in my life, getting rid of all the other things out there, all the, 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 
the possessions and stuff like that that I would like to be better at, would like to have a new relationship with, or, or, or would like to improve something. But I know that that's not going to happen until I get rid of some of those old things. And so there's stuff that I have to be reminded of. There's stuff that I have to be conscious of, but there's also steps that I have to take. And to be perfectly honest with you, some of those things are so big and they're so daunting and they're so much larger than what I can actually accomplish. It is foolish for me to try to do those things on my own. So I'm going to need to to solicit God's help on this. And honestly, in some of those areas of my life, and I would imagine probably in some of your lives too, that some of those things are going to be bigger than what you could ever possibly imagine, and you know better than to try to tackle them, but the truth is you just don't want to take those to God. Because if you do, he may actually give you the way and means to get this fixed or to get this done or to get the new stuff in that he wants to provide for you, but that means I'm going to have to submit to him today, and I may have to actually let go of those things that I'm clinging to so bad. I like them very much, but they are comfortable, they are familiar, and I do have control over them. Does that sound like anybody else's world or just mine? You know, in times of great stress, most of us revert back to what we know, and really what we know is what we're most comfortable with and what we constantly and often do. And if, you're, if you've got a bad habit out there, you know, they say you have to replace a bad habit with a good habit. So you can't just quit something. You have to pick something up and put it in, in its place. And some of us need to put some things down, but, but do we have something good to put into our place? And so this morning, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to one of the prophets, one of my favorite prophets, Isaiah. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43 this morning. And we're going to bounce around a little bit, but we're going to stay in Isaiah 43 for just a few moments. And we want to read with you a passage of Scripture. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, and prophets' jobs have been and are to continue to tell people about the goodness of God and to draw them into a relationship with Him and to teach people to worship the one true God. And so any prophet in the Bible, their their role wasn't just gloom and doom and to, to scare the people and tell them that judgment is coming. That was part of that. Part of that, though, was to drive them towards a better relationship with God and to know him and to trust him and to respect him. And Isaiah was not any different. Isaiah, he's one of the the major prophets we call because he has a lot to say. Isaiah was the one who who said uh, uh, that that Emmanuel would come, God with us. He's the one that prophesied about Jesus, as did many of them, but he was a lot more specific about a, a virgin would conceive and give birth. And so we know a lot about Isaiah, but in Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at verses 16 through 21 this morning, and we're going to have it up on the board, but if you have it in your Bible, I really want you to have it kind of reference back and forth. But let's read this, and let me, let me, let's discuss it for a moment. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16 through 21, thus says the Lord. Anytime your Bible says, thus says the Lord, you should probably pay attention. Because this is God speaking directly. This is, his, this is his way of saying, I am making not just a promise, I'm making a bold statement that is truth. Thus saith the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Verse 18, remember not the former things or consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This is such an interesting passage of Scripture. And for the people who are hearing Isaiah make this prophecy, what they're, what they're going through and what they're trying to figure out is, is why are we here? What did we do? Why is, where's God been in all this situation? 
what's happening here? And Isaiah, just like I am today, wants to remind them, as I'm trying to remind you, that we do need to remember elements of our past. And when we remember those elements in our past, even and especially those really bad things in our past, those bad times, those bad decisions, those bad things that were done to us that we had no control over of, the one thing that we can count on is that even in our past that God was always there for us, either preparing a way, making a way, showing a way, or dragging us out, kicking and screaming. God was always there for us. And in these few verses here, God actually shows three different illustrations about who he was, who he is, and who he will be to his chosen people at the time were the, were the Jewish people, but, but to us as well. And so in the first few verses of this, what he is talking about is, is when I rescued you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. That's how the Ten Commandments actually starts. I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of the land of slavery and out of the house of Egypt, who took you out of that place. And God took all of these 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 hebrew people out of underneath the pharaohs took them out into the wilderness and as pharaoh and them came chasing after them with horse and chariots moses stood and parted the the red sea and the people walked across on dry land and then god caused the waters to crash down upon them the chariots and everybody died chasing after them and god said do you remember that time i delivered you it's good you should remember that but you should also think about why you were in, you were enslaved to begin with why you were in such trouble to begin with. But I was there for you, and I rescued you, and I took you out of that. But then what he goes on to talk about is that they're going to be exiled by the Babylonians, and that he's going to be there to take them out as well. And when he takes them out of there, God's going to be unchanging. And he reminds them that the thing that got them into trouble the last time, the thing that's going to get them in trouble with the Babylonians, and the thing that's going to get mankind in trouble, is that they're dwelling on the good things of the past, but still not God. They're dwelling upon how things used to be and how the situation uh, could have been or how they used to have this abundance of stuff, but they're not remembering and trusting in God. And so because they're not remembering and trusting in God, they're having great difficulties and challenges about what's going on in their world. And they're going to repeat those sin cycles over and over and over and over again. And they're going to have these, these problems that they're going to go back to God on, but they're not willing to stop doing what they were doing. They just want God to rescue them. And God says, I rescued you when you got into a situation that you couldn't control from the Egyptians, and I took you out of that. But you got yourself into this mess that got you exiled out of my promised land and my chosen people enslaved by other people. You got yourself into this, and the reason why you got yourself into this is because you had the wrong attitude. You were arrogant, and you still weren't serving me. You still weren't trusting in me. Does that sound like any of the ruts in your life that you've been in before? That when you finally stop and slow down and wonder, how did I get here? The simple answer is, I did this to myself. Now, for some people, they'll say things like, well, if God only loved me so much, he wouldn't let this happen to me. If God really cared about me this much, he wouldn't let these things happen to me. But the truth of the matter is that God does love you so much, but he gives you opportunity to make those decisions. He is unchanging in all of his ways. But man seems to be pretty consistent in his ways, too. And we're going to continue to do the wrong thing and get ourselves into the wrong situations and make some decisions over and over and over and over again that we just cannot make. And then wonder, gee, God, if you really love me, why did you let this happen? Everything happens for a reason, right? You all know that, that phrase? Well, I love the backside of that. It's usually because you're stupid and did something really dumb. Sure, things happen for a reason. God wants great things to happen for each and every one of us. But that doesn't mean that we get to go out and make really bad conscious decisions and expect for a better outcome. That's insanity. 
That's insanity. You know, God wants me to be rich, so therefore he must want me to go rob a bank. No, it doesn't work that way. God wants me to be popular, therefore I must sell out my integrity. No, it doesn't work that way. What God wants is your love and your obedience. He wants to be first in your life. And when he's not first in your life, don't think, why did this happen to me? It's pretty simple. You did bring this upon yourself because a righteous, holy God must deal with the things that we do outside of who he is and what he does and outside of his character. He doesn't move outside of his character. We do. We do. There's a third illustration in this passage, too, that Isaiah shares with us, and he speaks to the Messiah that will come one day. He speaks to the one who will, who will bring life out of the desert. He speaks to one who, who there may not be roads in the desert, but these, all these, these wadis, they call them, these empty streams. And these wadis fill up with water and life teems in the desert. God makes those things happen. And if you've ever seen Death Valley every hundred years or so, finally get to rain, that place looks beautiful. But for the rest of the time, it's the hottest place on the planet. And it's full of rocks and desert. Now, what about you? Have you been in a desert? Have you been in a place where you, you just can't quite move out of? Have you been in a rut over and over and over and over again? Have you been in a place where it's just so hot and so dry and so confusing and so lost that you just don't know how you got here, how you're going to get out of here, and what you're going to do next? I want you to stop for just a second and just think about the deserts that you're in. for a moment about the really bad situations or the hard situations or the solutions you just don't have. It doesn't make your situation any less or any more unreal. But the truth of the matter is so many of us are in a desert or have been in a desert. And unfortunately, hey, fellas, hey, guys, Chris, I love you guys, but could y'all take that someplace else? Have you ever found yourself in such a place you just can't get out of? And you wonder, how did I get here? What am I doing? How do I get this fixed? And you do all you can on your own over and over and over again, and you're not going to get out of it. The truth of the matter is that the desert is actually a pretty beautiful place. Some people really like those types of places. Some people are really able to grow if they'll but trust God in the situation. If they'll realize that I'm here probably by my own doing, but actually God may have led me out here. In fact, when God led all those people out of Egypt, he led them directly to the desert, and it took them about 30 days to start complaining, did you bring us out here just for us to die out here? We had better food when we were back there under the thumb of slavery of the Egyptians. God, why am I here? Why am I having these difficulties? Why am I having these challenges? That's why we all need salvation. That's why we all need a Messiah. That's why we all need the answer, the solution that we're not going to come up with on our own, that we're not going to work a little harder or dig a little deeper or, or go a little faster or get a little bit more efficient in things. We need Jesus. And he's warning them that your behaviors are going to be consistent over and over and over and over again. And so this morning, I want to just tell you this, that, that, that the reason why God makes all things new for us is that many times we go in a direction that we want to go or we choose not to go in a direction that God wants us to go, but God wants to give us a new direction. 
God wants to give us a new direction. He wants to show us that there is not just a better way, there is the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. And there's no other direction by which we go, regardless if we're in a, in a valley, in a desert, in a garden, or we're at home, or whatever the case may be, God wants to give for us a new direction. Ezekiel chapter 46, Ezekiel is another one of those great prophets. And Ezekiel 46, 9 tells us that when the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feast. Now, God would call his people together three specific times each year to go to Jerusalem and to worship him and to make sacrifices. And he did so right in line with the time that he brought Jesus there. And then he crucified him and he brought him back to life. God knew what he was doing thousands of years before that time was, and he would call those people back for those, those solemn assemblies, those three specific times that he wanted them to be there. And, and it says that at the time of the appointed feast, he who enters by the north gate to worship, remember that word, to worship, shall go out by the south gate. And he who enters by the south gate shall go out by the north gate. No one shall return by way of the gate by which he entered, but each shall go out straight ahead. It's kind of like that passage in John where he tells us that whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. What God is saying is here is that if you walk into my house to worship, then keep walking and keep worshiping. Don't turn around and go back to where you came from because what you left was the world and what you came into was the presence of a holy God. And God is in the business of moving forward, not in the business of going backwards. And he is progressing forward with his plan for salvation for all mankind. And the direction he wants for us is not to dip our toe into the water, raise our hands, say a couple of good prayers, listen to a pastor, and then go back into the rest of the world and just live like heck the rest of the week. That is not his plan for us. Sunday should be a restart for us when God's people gather in his place to worship him and they move forward and we go right back out the door. I've been to churches where there's a sign in the parking lot that says your mission starts here whenever you leave. And I just believe that with all my heart, that if God says come in through the north, then head out to the south. Because in the meantime, you're, you're, it's like a pit stop for those of you who watch racing. This is where you stop, you get refueled, you get new tires, you get energized, you get told a strategy, and then you get back out in that race just as fast as you can. And you keep going. And he doesn't say, okay, now that you're at this pit stop, would you turn around and go opposite now? Would you go back the way you came from? No. Now, those of you who have truly, truly tasted that the Lord is good and you know the salvation that Jesus offers, do you want to go back to the life you had before him? The problem is that sin has such a hold on so many of us in so many ways. That's what's comfortable. That's what's familiar. That's where I want to go back to. God's not going to call you to that. He's not going to tell you, come in, feel a little bit better about yourself, and go back to the world that you came from. Just keep violating my rules. Keep breaking my relationships. Keep breaking my heart. You say, that's not who I am. That's not what I want. That's not what God wants for me. God wants to give us a new direction. Out with the old and in with the new. We've got to trust him. We've got to follow him. God also wants to give us a new view. You know the, the saying, unless you're the lead dog, the, the view never changes. Let's be fair for a second. Some of us are just followers. That's where we need to be. Some of us are leaders, and that's where we need to be. But wherever we need to be, whether it be a follower or a leader, we need to be trusting and following God. And far too many times in my own life, and I would imagine in some of yours, where you really get yourself into trouble is when you start trying to lead God's plan for your life instead of follow God's plan for your life. Hey, God, I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you're here for me, but I got this figured out. I, 
I, I do believe God's got a great sense of humor because it's almost like he could say, yeah, that's what you said the last 10,000 times. I was there for that. I watched you. It's like he's got a stop clock on stupid, right? It's like he's just waiting for you to say that so you go, okay, yep. I can tell you exact millisecond by which you're going to make a bad decision. And then what are you going to do? You're going to go through this progression. Oh, God, how did I get here? Oh, God, if you really loved me, how did you let me get here? Oh, God, if I could just make different decisions, then maybe this wouldn't be the case. I think you should stop with, oh, God, goodness, onness. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to move on. The reason why he wants to give us a new view is because we don't have the right view of God. For so many people, especially people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they believe that God's against them. For even for some of us Christians, we believe that when things don't go our way, when, when things aren't working out the way we want them to, is that God just must be against me. He, he, just, he, he, he just must be out to get me. Or, like the deists believe, God just put everything into motion, but he doesn't actually really care about all those other details. I, I serve a God of details. He knows every hair on my head. He knows every thought that crosses my mind. He knows how much that I love him and how much I don't love him. He knows what I will and won't do. I serve a God of details, and he's in the details. You might think the saying means the devil is in the details, but that's not the case. God's the one who created the details. And the devil likes to get in there and stir him up a little bit, but he's not the one who creates those details. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I got news for you. If you are actively against God, he is against you. Don't think any differently than that. If you are willfully trapped in your sin and you are making sinful decisions over and over and over again and you're outside of the will of God and outside of the law of God and not doing what he tells you to and not to do, he started off with one thing. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they couldn't figure that out. And then he says, here's ten things to do. Five of them relate to me. Five of them relate to one another. They couldn't figure that out. Okay, man says, I got an idea. Let's drop 613 laws on everybody. Let's figure out how to do and not do these things. And Jesus says, let's just do two things. Let's love God and let's love people. And if you can manage to just do those two things, then you would have the right view of God to know that he's not against me. But if I can manage to say, you know what, today I'm going to love myself and I'm not going to love God. And I just can't understand why God's against me. I just don't know why he's against me. That guy, he's like, he's out to get me. It's like he's watching my every move, that God. It's amazing. I just can't seem to get rest. I can't seem to get peace. I can't seem to get happiness. You will never find it outside of the goodness and the obedience of God. You won't. You'll find a temporary solution for a long-term problem that only Jesus can solve. We also need to have the right view of ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 is a great place for us to, to find that right view of ourselves because many times we, we do this self-deprecating thing, and I, I'm pretty guilty of that. I'll be honest about that. Oh, it's all my fault. I'm just a bad person. I'm just a sinner, we say in church. You're right, you are. You woke up this morning just like all the rest of us. Let's don't undermine that reality that we're all sinners, but some of us are saved by grace. Some of us have not received that yet because we're just not willing to let go of the old things and take on the new things. But, but what Ephesians tells us about ourselves is that, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner, of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. 
and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, I want to take you back for a second, back to what Isaiah told us. Remember not the former things. Remember not the former things. Well, you know, I like the way things used to be. Great, you're a Baptist. I'm good for you. We don't do it like that. We've always done it this way. That is one of the great destroyers of any progress. Well, in my, my last job, at my, at my last church, at my last school, in my last relationship, in my last marriage, I got news for you, folks. If you're going to hold on, if you're going to hold on to the things of the former and try to bring them into the new and expect different results, that is insanity, especially the things that failed, especially the things that failed that didn't work out the way they're supposed to. And when it comes to having the right view of ourselves, we must understand that first and foremost, that if we have accepted the truth of Jesus Christ, the grace and the forgiveness of our sins that only comes from him, we are not the old self. And he doesn't see us that way. And it's high time we start seeing ourselves the right way as Jesus sees us. And until we have the right view of ourselves, we are not going to have the right view that God has for us. If you want to see it in a spatial mindset, just think for a second. God who is all and is above all and sees all and knows all, he always has a better angle, a better perspective than what we do on our own life. Always. Not just because he knows the decisions that we're going to make. He knows what a bad decision that we've already made. And he's searching our heart to see if it was, a, if it was the right thing for us to do or not. Do you have the right view of yourself? Do you look at the desert and blame yourself for all those things? That's only going to get you so far, but it's not going to get you out of the desert. What you need is the right view of God and the right view of yourself to understand that God is with me. He's not against me. But as long as I see myself in the old ways, I'm not going to progress in such a way that God can do something new with me. Because all I want to do is just feel better about doing the old thing. After all, that's what a sinful lifestyle really looks like. I don't really want to stop doing these things. I just want somebody to make me feel better about the fact that I'm doing it. That's not what God has for me. God also gives us the right view of others. And I think perhaps nowadays especially, it's important for us to be reminded over and over and over again, especially those of us who have declared that we are in Christ. That, that we have received the grace and the forgiveness that comes from a, a belief that Jesus is the Son of God and understanding that, that in order for us to, to live out what has been done for us, that we must have the right view of others. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. I've preached on it before. You've read it before and you know Philippians 2.4 tells us, Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. One of the greatest killers to any organization is internal thinking, not external focusing. One of the greatest destructions to a church especially is that we just take care of ourselves. We only do our thing. We only look out for the people that we already know, not the people that are outside of these walls, not for the 300,000 people that live in Katy that are unchurched this morning, even with the Internet, even with live view and all that sort of stuff. There are 300,000 people in the greater Katy area right now who do not have a relationship with Jesus even to the nth of what you've got right now just by being here this morning. And they're probably in a desert wondering, how come my life's the way that it is? And they may even be thinking, my life's pretty good. Why do I want all those other things? Because their life is just pretty good. It's not great. And God doesn't deal in good. He deals in love. And he 
And that's that great thing for each and every one of us in his creation. He's calling us to have the right view of him, the right view of ourselves, and the right view of others. And whatever we do, we ought to think others more significant than ourselves, and we ought to put them forward. You know, I'm tired of just feeling like I'm just give out, that people just always take from me, that I'm always doing something for somebody else. I'm, I'm just going to be just honest with you for a second. Have you ever noticed that when you stop worrying about you for just a moment and start thinking about somebody else, that all your troubles kind of go away? At least most of them do. And it's not just out of sight, out of mind. It's just a matter of perspective. It's putting things in the right place to say, you know what? The more time I have to spend by myself to worry about me, to think about myself and the things that I do on my own, the less time I worry about somebody else. And if I would just focus my attention and my love and my care and I would demonstrate to them the Jesus that loves me, I would understand that God is bigger than whatever my problem is, that he loves them and they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yesterday I was talking with the, the pastor that lives in the house that we were serving and I've known him for a long time. And he, he has, he's, he's in his early 70s, I think. He has COPD from being a bivocational pastor and working in the shipyards and all that stuff in New Orleans from years ago. Transplanted here from Katrina. He said in this last year, his wife actually has lost two sons to a blood clotting disorder that their family has. It's a genetic thing that, that within a year, two of her sons in their 40s have died. And here's his house has mold in it. It's been flooded out three years ago. He's on an oxygen machine and he says, you know, he said, I was just thinking, God, why me? God, why me? I'm like, that's fair enough. I would say you've been through the ringer. I mean, that's fair enough. And then he stopped and he goes, but then I realized, you know what? Why not me? After all, I have hope. I have Jesus. And there's not anything this world can do to me that God's not bigger and better than what I am. Why not me? God, I love others so much more because of what you've done for me that I'm going to be willing to suffer through, to, to be burdened by these things so much greater than so that someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who doesn't have the tools to overcome these things, is not burdened by the reality of the desert that they're in and thinking that there's no way out. That they're going to revert back to the former things that God says, don't go back to the former things. Come, I'm doing something new. Come and watch, just like Isaiah told us. And when we have the right view of others, God also wants to give us a new future ourselves. Do you know what the future holds for you? Anybody who's ever professed Jesus Christ and has a relationship with him ought to be able to say yes to that question. I don't need all those details. I don't know what tomorrow may be, but I do know where I'm going to spend eternity. I'm going to spend that eternity with Jesus forever because of the sacrifice made for him. So many of us are so worried about the future that we are missing out on the present, but sometimes we do have to remember that the, the promise of the future is bigger than the problems of the present. And when we get bogged down in the problems of the present, we can't see what God is doing and moving forward. And God wants to give us that new future. 1 John 2, 17 says, As, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, some of you, you've seen that movie Groundhog Day, right? Where he just relives the same day over and over again. You, if nothing else, you lived in 2020, right? Where you just relive the same day over and over and over again. God, this is not abundant life, for crying out loud. This is not what I thought abundant life was going to look like. This is not how I planned for my future to be. I didn't plan to lose a job after 10, 20, 30 years. I didn't plan to have to look for a job. 
I didn't plan to, to, to lose this medical coverage or plan for this and all this. Listen, you can make whatever plans you want. The bottom line comes right down to it that a sovereign God can overcome all those things and it has nothing to do with what's going on in your world right now by the physical things but the promise of abundant life when we leave this world. And if you want to experience a portion of abundant life in this world, you, you need to trust that God's future for you is greater than your present problems. It's greater than your present problems. And when we dwell on our present problems, we can't get to our future. We embrace worry, the former things. We embrace those things that are bigger and stronger than, than our own faith is. We have more faith in what could go wrong than what we have in the one who's greater than the things that are wrong. That's a tremendous amount of faith, friends. It's not just anxiety. It's the fear that things are just not going to work out the way I want them to work out. Friends, I don't know about you, but to be perfectly honest with you, the things I want to work out, I hope never do come to fruition because they're not anywhere close to the plans God has for us. It's okay to plan. It's okay to think. It's okay to look forward. But to be perfectly honest with you, God's got a much broader future for all of us. Much broader future is not just making us rich or making us feel better or giving us comforts in this life. It's abundant life that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Don't go back to the former things or consider the things of old. We all want do-overs. We all want things. We, 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 want, we want to get opportunities back. I don't know anybody who ever said, no, 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 I, I like everything exactly how it was. I'd never do anything different. Sure you would. As, as a parent, there's a lot about how I raised my kids that I wish I'd have done a little differently. I got good kids. It has nothing to do with them or how they turned out. It has everything to do with me. I wish I'd have done a little something better or a little something more or even a little something less with my kids. Because one day you wake up and they're 22 years old and you feel like you just don't have near the influence you had when they were seven. Not just because you're bigger, meaner, and scarier than they are. Because you did raise them to make decisions on their own. Folks, as far as I'm concerned, when God looks at me, he ought to look at a toddler. I want to be holding on to his big old finger and just following him everywhere that I go. He wants me to grow up. He wants me to take responsibility for my life. He wants to utilize me, not in my childlikeness, but in my adulthood, in my maturity, to tell others about him and his goodness. My future is not just about what he's going to do for me, but it's about the abundant life of others that he puts me in influence for. He gives us family to do that. He gives us coworkers to do that. He gives us people we run into at the gas stations to do that. God's got a bright future, not just for each and every one of us. But the problem is, is that we, 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 don't, we don't get rid of the old things. We just want to pile on more. Now, don't raise your hands, but I just want to ask you for a second. How many of you have storage buildings or storage units? You realize it's a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States, right? In fact, these storage units that you see pop up all over the place and right next to these neighborhoods that are being built, you realize they're paid for before the first house is even finished built. It's a multi-billion dollar business. You know why? Because we got too much junk. We don't throw things away. Don't blame it on heavy trash day. You just got a whole bunch of junk in your house. 
that you're holding on to the old. What's that song some of you may remember? If he's an old hippie, you don't know what to do. Should we hang on to the old or should we grab on to the new? I don't even know who sings that song. I'm not that old. That's our lives, isn't it? You know, I'd trust God if he'd just give me a little bit more clarity. No, you wouldn't. That's the problem. You want to trust God according to your terms, not according to his terms. That's not how it works. God, if you just show me a little bit more of what you have for my life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God, if you just lower your standards a little bit so that I could get on board with this. Like it or not, you negotiate that with him all the time. Friends, the problem with a new life, with all things being new, is that is that if you hear nothing else, that you cannot receive the new things as long as you have a death grip on your old things. You just can't. Your hands are full. Some of you know what it is to try to get all the groceries out of a car in one trip. And, and you come with creative ways. They even have this, these little devices where you can put lots of bags on them, like these big carabiners. Have you all seen those? I'm just going to suggest for a moment, either make multiple trips or buy less stuff that you don't need at the grocery store. Same resolution. God, I can't serve you right now. I have too much on my plate. God, I can't tell somebody else about you because if they knew my life, they'd never believe me. God, I can't do all these things because my hands are just full with my life. Come unto me, those of you who are burdened. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. experience new life in Christ. Whether you're a new believer or you've been following him for a long time until you shed the old ways and go to the new things that God is doing. I'm not talking about new revelation. I'm not talking about new prophecy that pops up. I'm talking about what he says about abundant life in his word, that he is unchanging in character and promises that to every one of us. So I'll ask the question that I asked earlier. What's one thing do you want in your life that you just can't get until you get to heaven? I may even rephrase it a little bit differently. What sin are you holding on to so tightly that it is damaging your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with others? God wants to give you a new view of Him, of you, and of others. He wants to give you a new future. But you're not going to get it if you're busy wanting things to go back to how they used to be. Especially if that was before you knew him, trusted him, and loved him with all your heart. God's making all things new. The difference is, is that will you be a part of the new thing when he's finished? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, we bless you. We thank you so much for the truth of Jesus Christ, for his love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us every good and perfect thing, every need that we have. But God, I'll confess that I love comfort as much as the next person. I love easy. I love efficient. I love simple. Lord, sometimes I love all those things more than I love you. And God, I want you to do big and new and great things in my life. And I get angry and I get upset and I get frustrated. I get disappointed. 